Her Emma Caldridge series, Help Launch Your Queer, making her number one on Amazon. She now writes for Robert Ludlum's Covert One series. She's Jamie Favoletti, and she's up next. So welcome back to a brand new season of the Ozzy Osbourne Show. Uh, we are now in season two. That being said, I am once again very excited about our next guest, Jamie Ferbaletti. Jamie, welcome to the Ozzy Osbourne Show. Well, thank you. I'm very pleased to be invited. Thank you. So you're an attorney, you're a black belt in Aikido, distance runner, and a best-selling author. Now, being that you, you uh, grew up the daughter of an actress, um, did you ever consider like being an entertainment lawyer at any point? Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, you can't be the daughter of an actress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it basically runs in the family. And so I took classes in New York. It was called HK Studios. I took classes from um, Bill Hickey, who was in Pritzi's Honor. He's a great actor and a he's past now, I believe. Um, so I took classes in New York, and I did do some small things in the in theater. Uh, that was kind of the, the given. And my mother was also a singer, so I also sang on a few things, commercials, things like that. Now, for those who are not aware of your mom, I'll just uh, give people a bit of background. So your mom is an actress, and she was also a jazz singer, and she was in the Truman Show, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, and The Bully. Of course, The Truman Show and Ace Ventura. Uh, both starring Jim Carrey. What was it like to grow up with your mom, being that she was in entertainment? You know, it's it's somewhat of a different lifestyle, obviously. She started out singing in jazz clubs in Chicago, so it's a nighttime job. It worked very well because my father was uh, working during the day, so she would be out at night, he'd watch us, and then my dad, you know, then my dad would take over, he'd go to work. So, it worked well for that. But then when they divorced, it got a little bit more difficult. Luckily, we were older at that time. And it, you know, put my stuff out this. I think she was very, I know she was very, um, very socially aware, uh, more aware of things going on around her. She was a working woman, so she needed to keep, keep food on the table and gig to gig the life of a, a band, a singer is gig to gig to gig. So that's a very different way of living. She didn't have that stable paycheck that you would get if you had a salary job. That lends itself a little bit of uncertainty when we were growing up. We got used to it, but it was different. And then there was a short period when she got nodules on her vocal cords from oh, really? much singing. And back in the day, you couldn't just laser them off. Nowadays, you would simply just laser them off. But I guess she couldn't get that. That wasn't available at the time. Okay. And she had stopped singing and speaking, actually, for six, three to four to six months. And I recall her walking around with one of those, those pads. You write on it, and then you pull the thing up, magic pad or whatever. You pull it up, and the writing goes away. And oh, that's yeah. That's how she would communicate. Yeah. Wow. And that was tough, because during that period, we, you know, we had to go on aid to defend the children. We had to go and, and get food stamps for the four to six months that she wasn't working. And she was devastated by that at the time. It's something that had never happened to her. We got through it uh, and, you know, 
life went on. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I was, I was reading uh, about your, your father, because you had written on Rogue Women Writers, uh, a bit about your father and how he was a street fighter who actually got behind your mom's dreams. Can you share that story with us? Yes, my dad uh, grew up, he's an Italian man, and he grew up in Chicago, kind of a rough neighborhood. It's still, still a bit rough. It's the west side of Chicago, if anyone's listening and knows that area. And um, when he was young, he was at a tough high school, and, and the groups hung together. The Italians, he's a big Italian group, then there was an African-American group, and then there was the Jewish kids, and they didn't mix, they didn't mingle, but they did fight. They would get together, apparently, on sometimes on street corners and fight. My mom told the story of, how some, you know, we're talking teenagers, too. We're talking high schoolers. So there's yeah. a lot of emotion going on, you know, at this time of someone's life. And he would kind of blow up at the, the drop of a hat, take off and get into fights. And, you know, it was really a difficult time for him, I think. And he met my mom. Uh, she went to an all-girls high school, Catholic high school nearby, where the Irish girls went to school. And eventually they met and they married. And... Um, she wanted to be this singer and, and work in Hollywood, so they went west to Los Angeles. And while there, he they fell in with a group of actors and writers, and he started looking into literature. And it, it literally used to tell me how he loved it. He loved living in California, and he'd say the people were interesting, and he just loved it, all the aspects of it. And he eventually had to move back for his job, but uh, it really changed the way my dad, because my dad was, I think by the time I was born, I, I felt my whole life my dad was a very gentle soul. So it was a, a real difference to hear how he was in high school from when, you know, I was, we were around and he was so changed. It was very, very interesting. And I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, seeing the world a little bit, you know, how that changes your opinion of things. And so that was a fascinating story that he always told me. Yeah. Thank you. Um, how did uh, Rogue Women Writers come into being, or how did you become a part of it? You know, I got a call from Gail Lynn. Okay. The uh, writer, great writer, uh, best-selling writer, yes. uh, New York Times bestseller. And she called me, she wrote for Robert Ludlum's Covert One series, which yes. I took over later, several several years later, that Robert, the state of Robert Ludlum contacted me and asked me to continue the series. And so... Gail and I had met briefly over that. She wrote the first two books with Robert Ludlum, and then he passed away. There were some authors in between, and then I came on board. So she called me one day and said, would you like to be in a blog with me? And I, you know, she picked, I don't know, six or seven women writers, and I said, absolutely. If anything you need, Gail, I'll be happy to do it. And so that's how this Rogue Women Writers Group started, and Gail spearheaded the whole thing. and. You know, we got together, we have a website, roguewomenwriters.com, we have a Facebook page, and we blog, and it's been a really interesting kind of fun thing to do uh, with other writers. They're all spy, spy, espionage, thrillers, mysteries, things like that. We all have kind of different skill sets. So we'll we'll go back to um, Gail and, and what you're, you're doing with Robert Ludlum. Uh, we'll go back to that soon, but... Um, how did you discover your, your love for writing? I love books. love reading. I've always written. I had a poem published when I was young in a contest. There was a nationwide contest. And uh, my poem was chosen, 
sponsorship chosen, but mine was one as well. And so I've always written in some form or another, but it never occurred to me that I could write books. Books were and are to me the most amazing things in the world. And one day I was uh, working as a lawyer and I, I had a really tough case and I would go home at night and I would read and then I started to write a little bit, just a little bit of creative stuff. And I kept going. And one thing led to another and I said to my husband, you know, it was winter and I said, at night I'd like to take, there's this creative writing course at the University of Chicago and I'd like to take it. So we, we have children, so we arranged that he would come home from work that day a little bit earlier than I would. We'd pick a day where my, my court calls were a little bit less. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, we started to arrange my court calls not on that day, that's what I'm trying to say. And then he would come home and then I would go out at night to the nighttime creative writing course at the University of Chicago. And I loved it. And from wow. there on in, I just started writing at night after I put the kids to bed and everyone was settled. I'd write from about 10 in the, mo- in the evening until about midnight, as long as I could stay awake. And then yeah. it just grew from there. Wow. Well, wow, that's, that's interesting. Because given the success that you've had, and in, in, it sounds like you had sort of a later start as far as your discovery of being a writer. So that's in- well. I wrote nonfiction. Okay. So you will find piece, my pieces of nonfiction out there, mostly involving super fun cleanup sites or insurance work or some of my legal things. And like I say, I had that poem. I really didn't consider it as a career or something I could do for the longest time because, first I was working, but also, like I say, it just, it just seemed to me it's something somebody else was able to do, but I never had really tried it. And I, I really can't even explain why the trigger, what triggered me to finally say, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. Oh, you know, really, really give this a shot as opposed to the, the articles and the small things I was doing up until that point. Now, if you can tell us about uh, Emma Caldridge. Emma Caldridge, yeah. That's yes. my protagonist in my Emma Caldridge series. So she's a chemist. Okay. Uh, she's a science scientist. She's a chemist. And the first book came to me. It's uh, she's an ultra marathon runner. She runs ultras. If anyone's aware, ultra marathons. The marathon's what twenty six point two. Ultras are I think thirty five miles or above. That would be classified as an ultra. Okay. And uh, at the time, my husband was an ultra runner. He yes. runs about a hundred miles or twenty four hours at a time. And I was handling him in a lot of the races, running within the last fifteen miles or whatever it took to keep him alive <laughs> to <Yeah>. run. <laughs> And I just decided I would have Emma Caldridge be that kind of person, you know, the intense scientist. So she is really the example, I think, very strong female character, but also very logical. And that I thought was going to be important because when you're a chemist, you're dealing with science day in, day out. Not that you can't be emotional being a scientist, but I also wanted her to be a little bit outside, more of a kind of an, uh, analytical person when so when things would happen to her she would analyze them and it would give me a chance to bring in elements of chemistry and science that always fascinated me i'm not a scientist but during my legal work i worked with many 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 pharmaceutical companies and the chemists and the experts that create uh all kinds of things you know breast implants deal with salmonella issues deal with contaminated food issues 
and it was always fascinating to me. So she really came out of that that interest I had from my usual legal career. Okay. Yeah, and now your your first novel, it had won uh, two awards. Um, this is Running with the Devil, for those who, are, who may not know. So International Thriller Writers give you uh, Best First Novel, and uh, you also uh, got a Barry Award. Now, from that, you ended up writing for the uh, Robert Dunham estate. Can you tell how that sort of came into play? That's kind of interesting. I I didn't know anything about it. What happened is the, the state of Robert Dunham contacted my literary agent and asked some of my books. Okay. And they apparently at the time were vetting a bunch of authors, about 10 of us maybe. I never heard of the, the full list ever. I still don't know to this day who else was in the running. Although I have been told there were some New York Times bestsellers in there. So they must have been pretty well-known names. I was not at the time that well-known. Running from the Devil had just come out. So really they got probably Running from the Devil and my second novel, Running Dark. So okay. my agent sent those on. And I didn't hear anything. And she kind of didn't tell me about it. And then I won for Running from the Devil. I won Best First Novel at the ITW Thriller Writers Conference, Thriller Fest. Yeah. And I was thrilled. And I came down off stage. And that was the first time my agent came rounding up to me. And she said, you know, you just won this award. Now I have to tell you what's happened. You're in the running for... A the state of Robin is looking for you, looking at you to possibly continue one of their series. You're one of three. Wow. So it had gone from ten to three. And she said, I didn't want to tell you sooner because, you know, the odds were, were very slim. Of course, I got home and my husband, who's into numbers, tells me, oh, you know, you're one of three. Well, that's great. You've got a 33% chance. I'm like, you know, honey, <laughs> you, you didn't have to dig it in like that. We were laughing. And I didn't think much of it. I tried to put it aside. Yeah. And yeah, then, sure. oh, yeah, you know, you don't want to get your hopes up on these things because there's a lot of great talent out there. And then I won the Barry Award, and I was in San Francisco for that one. Uh, ITW was New York. And then I'm in San Francisco. I win the Barry Award. We'll come down off the stage. Once again, my agent was there running up to me, and she said, you know, can you come to the to the hotel bar? The state of Robert Ludlum representatives would like to meet with you. Wow. And then I knew. I pretty yeah. much knew that I had, I had nailed this thing. And I went and met with them. We talked about what would be required and just took it from there. And I was, I am still thrilled and very excited to be able to write, uh, for the estate. Wow. So I'm just going to role play something, uh, with you for a second. Um, so you and I were playing Scrabble. And, uh, you have your pieces. You have an awesome word. Um, and so it's my turn. I placed down my pieces and now you just lost your triple word thing and you lost where you're going to place your word. Uh, I'm running this by you because this is like when I was looking at the, the covert one series and seeing that you end up you know, like you're trading spots back and forth with Kyle. And so sometimes I wonder, like, do you have an idea? And then, you know, maybe. Kyle ends up writing the book, and you're like, "Oh shoot, okay." Um, he went that way with the book, so now I got to bring it back this way. Like, does it play out like Scrabble, or is, is that a good analogy to use? It's a very good analogy. I think it only happens once. Most of the time, I think Kyle and I just didn't overlap with our ideas, which was is very lucky. 
but there was one time I had two ideas for the COVID-1 series. I really wasn't sure which one I was going to go with. So I spoke to the uh, Henry Morrison. He's the executive producer of the movies. He's also uh, Robert Lovett's agent, former agent. And so I called Henry and I said, you know, ran the two ideas past him. And Henry called me and said, you know, Kyle hasn't shown anybody his manuscript yet for his latest. He would work, you know, work during the year. I didn't have to. So while he was working on Covert One, I was doing one of my own novels, and then we'd flip it. Right. So yeah. he said, you know, you haven't seen this yet, but he, he kind of ran some of the premise down past me. And it wasn't exactly the same. Right. But some of the elements of the kind of cool devices that they, that we had both dreamed up were the same, which was kind of interesting. We were very close. Yeah. And so I put that particular premise aside. So you know what? That's pretty close to this one. Why don't I just put that one aside and focus on this other one? So that was the only time I think that ever happened. And honestly, it was, it was an easy answer because I already had had two. Now usually, I have so many ideas for books, it's kind of crazy. So I usually have two or three bumps around in my head at any given time. And if somebody would say to me, well, don't do that one, do this one, you know, I've got three more going. So, it didn't really impinge on anything I was doing. And that's the only time. I, you have to ask Kyle if it ever happened the other way. Yeah, for but sure. I, my guess is it probably didn't. I think we both had unique, different premises for this for this group of uh, Covert One operatives. Okay. Now, do you and Kyle ever sit down and, and, and chat, or is it basically like you submit your manuscript and he submits his? Or? It's just we submit to, to the estate. I think the estate... I know the estate has final say, so it really isn't something that we discuss between the two writers. It really goes straight to the estate and all the representatives, the publishing house, the editors, and they as a group make decisions and come back to us. Okay. How is it to, to work with uh, Robert's estate? Is, is it easy or is it like, um, are you dealing with Robert's family? Is, is there like a lot of politics involved or? Nothing. I don't. Ha- I don't have any problems. It's been great. Really, that's they, awesome. They ask, yeah, it's been, it's been a breeze. I mean, they asked you for a premise, with an idea, the covert one group. You know, you submit it. We talk about it if it's what they like, and you know, obviously, you like it because you're the one who submitted it. So, as the writer, and uh, they they gave me free reign. I asked a few questions like, can I go this direction with this character? Uh, is that going to be an issue for you? I'd like to, and they've always said yes. I, I don't think I've ever had a problem. So it's That's been cool. it been it was a wonderful experience. It's been a wonderful experience, and I I had a it was just easy. It's a little surprising to me because up until that point, if you'd asked me, I would have said, "Oh, I bet there's a ton of red tape," and there isn't really. I don't know why, but it just worked well. Wow. That's cool. Now, one one question I have, like, because both the books that you're, uh, like, your own personal ones, the the Emma series, and what you're doing with uh, Robert Estate, how do you know? And I've asked this to a few few authors, and um, so I'm I'm always curious. How do you know when it's the end of a book versus the end of a series? A very good question. You mean if you're writing something new, and you whether you're going to make it a standalone or a series? Yeah, like, when do you know when it's the, the last one? Is is it just, is it something that's, because I'm assuming it's based more than just on sales. I think it, you know, you would have some sort yeah, of premise that you're trying to 
to um, to get out there. You know, with with the Inner Culture series, I think there's a lot there's a lot of room to move in that series because okay. she I gave her the type of job. So she's a chemist and she looks for plants the world over that have an application in science, either through health or you know, there's poison plants, but in her case it's cosmetics and health related issues. And she also eventually becomes a part time contractor for uh, kind of a uh defense department contractor. And so she works sometimes in, in a lot of dangerous spots for him, getting information. So it really lends itself, the character lends itself to a lot of different areas. I can take her anywhere in the world. That's very helpful. So if anyone is listening to your podcast or thinking about being a writer or what they want on a series, biggest thing as a writer I think you have to think about is coming up with a story for your character over and over and over again. You know, you've got Jessica Fletcher in Murder, She Wrote or whatever for in small cabin cove and things are always happening in these cozy mysteries. It's, they have their own challenges. But with something like a thriller where you want to throw the net as wide as possible, it did help that I made her the kind of expansive career. It gave her the kind of expansive career that she has. Now, when I was first writing Running from the Devil, I got to tell you, that never even occurred to me. I just did it because I loved the concept, the story, and liked the idea of the female protagonist and the culture runner, Kenneth. I thought it was great. I had an idea where to put her and what setting. So not, none of it occurred to me because I was unpublished, and I was just writing this book for the love of it. And it wasn't until later when you get a contract and the publishing houses are you know, calling you saying, we need another book, another book, give us three, do you have four? give me an option clause, then you start thinking like, holy Toledo, I didn't think of it. Uh-huh. And it worked out that I'd had this kind of protagonist. Now, there are books that I'm, like the manuscript I'm writing, I'm going back to, I started to put it aside for a love book, and now I'm going back to it. Um, and I really think as I look at it, will probably end up being maybe one or two books. I'm not so sure it will end up being a series. Okay. And it's just the way the story goes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, now, with, with Emma, is there, is is she done or is she going? Is there more happening? She's got more. I've got another manuscript at, uh, oh, where am I at today? You're asking me today. <laughs> I think I'm at 80,000 80, words. Emma's books are usually 94,000 words. Okay. Uh, so I'm hoping to get her done to the the new publishing house by uh, March 1. Then we're hoping to catch the fall season. So books are sold uh, in season. Okay. Well, traditionally published books are in season. So you have to catch the sales force, say in April, they're selling books for summer. And then in maybe June, they're selling books for October. Right. So, you know, we'll see where this book ends up on the kind of conveyor belt of publishing. But, uh, so she's got one, I've got one for that coming out, and then I have a manuscript that I'm writing that's due on the 14th. And that okay. I really can't talk much about. It's brand new, it's very exciting, but, um, it, it better get done by next week. <laughs> wow. 
So you, you can't say anything on that script, can you? No, not about that one, no. Okay, okay. You're forgiven. <laughs> you. I, you know, sometimes you just bound to silence. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, in our last episode, we actually had Gail Lynn's on the show. And she um, had expressed something that, actually, when she shared this, I was really caught off guard. She had talked about how she was blamed for usurping the name of Robert Ludlum, um, just because the the book, like the the first book that she had written, um, had come out basically around the time that that he had passed away. Um, have you had any backlash, being that you're still doing this series? I I know that there's a lot of authors that are sort of doing series like like this today, where Gail didn't have that um, at the time. There wasn't as many. Um, but is that still a situation today? You know, I didn't get that problem. The Ludlum fans are, have been lovely to me. But also, by the time I, Gail started writing it quite a while ago, and that by the time it got to people like Kyle and me, they, I think it's pretty clear that they put Robert Ludlum's name on the cover, but also that the writer, my name is prominent on the cover. I think that's kind of important because that kind of signals people what's going on here. I, I, I know what happened with Gail. Her name, names were on the cover of her books, but also it was Robert Ludlum and, you know, co-authored with Gail Lynn. I think for a while when it may have been that people were co-writing, it wasn't quite as common. Now it's more of a common, like you say, it's, it's much more common right now. So yeah. I haven't had any problems with it. And most of Ludlum fans know that he has passed away. And so, you know, you will get some people who say, listen, nobody will ever be Robert Ludlum, so I don't I don't want to follow this. That's very rare. I rarely hear that. I usually get the opposite the opposite emails, which are people saying, Wow, I wasn't sure if this was gonna hold up in the COVID one series and it does, so thank you. People are very generous. So, yeah, I haven't had any of those problems. That's good. So how do you deal with, with writer's block? I don't have writer's block. Never had it. Um, so why? I would imagine because I'm always writing something else on the side. And if things get a little stuck, I suppose I move to the other manuscript. But I've never really had a problem with writer's block. So, I really, I'm really not sure why. <laughs> if the day it happens, I'll let you know. <laughs> because I'm, I, it's got to happen to me eventually. I can't imagine that it isn't going to happen to me. But right now it has. So. Wow. So not fair. That's so not fair. Where can readers find you online? Well, they can find me at my website, which is being updated, jamieprevaletti.com. I'm on Facebook. Jamie Prevaletti. I've got a uh, author page. Uh, I do have a private page, but the author page is probably where all the work-related stuff will be showing. That's under Jamie Prevaletti. I'm on Twitter, Jamie Prevaletti. Um, and, you know, all those avenues, I try to post on Twitter if a book is coming out, and I try to post on my author page. Uh, you can find me at Rogue Women Writers, obviously, if you need to pick those. I don't think my events are on there. So if you need events, we'd go to my Facebook author page, probably, or my website. 
Okay, well, that actually um, ends the show. I, I do want to thank our guest, uh, Jamie Favaletti, for being here. Jamie, it's it's been an absolute treat to have you on the show. So I, I hope we can maybe have you on again sometime. Oh, I'd love that. And thank you so much for asking me. I've enjoyed every minute. Thank you. Hey, guys. Thank you for tuning into the Ozzy Osbourne Radio Show. For more episodes, you can check out OzzyOsbourne.com. That's A-U-S-S-I-E, Osbourne.com. God bless you.